From WNYU 89.1 FM, this is Dirty Money. Dirty Money is a podcast about how money and capitalism influence our bodies, sex, and relationships. I'm your host, Liam McBain. This is Episode 7, Abortion. Well, there have been constant attacks on abortion since Roe v. Wade in 1973. But this moment seems like it might be worse than usual. Take Ohio's bill that bans abortions after fetal heartbeat can be detected, which, at as early as six weeks, is sooner than most women realize they're pregnant. It's the third state to enact this kind of bill in 2019 so far, and Georgia is expected to become the fourth soon. Then take the movie Unplanned, which came out in March. I was going to play a clip. I don't shy away from playing clips from people I don't agree with, as long as I can refute or poke fun at their claims. But this movie? It seemed even too dangerous to play part of the trailer. There are horribly false claims about Planned Parenthood. That it gets rich off of convincing women to get unsafe abortions. That fetuses can move or feel things before the third trimester. Both of which are completely false. It encourages viewers to occupy a space outside of the clinic, too, making women feel judged and unsafe. With all of this anti-abortion vitriol around, it's even more important that we understand all of the effects, the socioeconomic effects, most of all, of being forced to have a kid. So this study was originally started because we were wondering what the effect of abortion is on women's lives. That's Dr. Diana Green Foster associate professor and the director of research of Advancing New Standards of Reproductive Health at UCSF. She and her colleagues did a massive study on abortion outcomes, mainly socioeconomic outcomes, but it didn't start that way. There was a lot of concern, maybe a little more than a decade ago, that um, receiving an abortion might hurt women's mental health, that women might uh, experience depression or anxiety. And so we wanted to know, well, okay, that could be, and but uh, what alternative would they have, and, and how would depression and anxiety occur if they didn't get their abortion, but instead had to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term. So it was really with the idea of studying mental health that was the main motivator of this study. But as we collected data, we asked women, why do you want to have this abortion? And the majority of people actually gave reasons that had to do with socioeconomics. So they, they told, said that they can't afford to have a baby, that they couldn't, that they were already raising children and, and didn't have resources to raise another, that it wasn't a good time in their life, and that they had other life plans that they wouldn't be able to achieve if they had a baby right now. So we ended up measuring socioeconomic well-being and all sorts of other outcomes for both women and their children. And we followed the women for five years and looked at both women who received an abortion and women who were denied an abortion. So what were the findings about the women? We've almost published 50 um, academic papers, but and the most important ones that have come out to date, I think. The first is by my colleague Antonia Biggs, who shows that there's no mental health Uh, negative mental health harm from having an abortion, and um, that women, whether they receive an abortion or are denied an abortion, their mental health improves over time. The other important ones are the socioeconomic findings, that in fact, when you ask women why they want to have an abortion, they're worried about not having enough resources, and when they are denied, 
they are more likely to be poor and not have enough money to meet basic living needs compared to women who receive an abortion. Other people's work, uh, people at the Guttmacher Institute have shown that over time, women having abortions are increasingly concentrated among poor women. So abortion is increasingly concentrated among poor women, which is partly because wealthier women are probably more able to get services to prevent pregnancy. They can afford more effective methods of contraception, for example, but also because a surprise pregnancy, if you're wealthier, you may be more able to carry it to term than a surprise pregnancy if you're not. Dr. Green Foster and her colleagues also studied the children and their outcomes. So the third most common reason that women give for wanting an abortion is that they say they want to take care of their existing children. And we find that the existing children of women who are denied an abortion fare worse than the existing children of women who receive an abortion. I think it's surprising to some people that most women who have abortions are already mothers. But uh, it's about 60% in our study and also nationally. On existing children, the children whose mothers were denied an abortion, so they have another sibling that the family wasn't prepared to take care of, those children do worse. As you might have guessed, their well-being is directly tied to the resources they have access to. You can see it in their developmental milestones. They're less likely to achieve developmental milestones, and the household is more likely to have not enough resources to um, cover basic living needs compared to women who's who have existing children but who managed to get an abortion. And then the most complicated paper is what happens to the kids who are born because their mother was denied an abortion. And it's confusing because you wonder, well, who do we compare those children's outcomes to? And what we did was compare children born because the mom was denied an abortion to the next child born to women who receive it. So in effect, if the woman receives an abortion and chooses to give birth within the five years, it's that subsequent child. So what are the benefits? Can we see any difference in the kids' outcomes if their mom was able to wait and decide whether to have a baby or not? So we have the index kids, so that's a kid born because the mom was denied an abortion compared to subsequent children. So the children born from a subsequent pregnancy after abortion. So when we compare the children born because the woman was denied an abortion to the next child born to women who received an abortion, we see differences in the well-being of those two sets of kids. So when the mom is not able to get her wanted abortion, that child born is more likely to live in a household where there's not enough resources to pay for food, housing, and transportation compared to the next child born to women who receive an abortion. And I think most concerningly, they are also more likely to have poor maternal bonding with their mother. So women are less closely bonded to the child born because she was denied an abortion than to the next child born from a subsequent pregnancy. So summed up in kind of more lay language, that when women are able to have control over the timing of their births, they are able to raise, give the emotional and financial resources that are needed to raise a child. The most shocking part of this study, at least for me, was not in its findings. It's in how the study was conducted. 
what we did was we recruited at 30 abortion facilities across the country, and we recruited women who were just over the limit at each site and women who were just under the limit. So, But for a few weeks, difference in gestation, one group got the abortion and one group didn't. Wow. And um, because these 30 sites all had different gestational limits, there were women who were turned away at one site who would have received an abortion at a different site. So the difference for the women in these studies between having time to wait and gather resources for their next pregnancies, and for those forced into having a kid they weren't ready for, is policy in the location they're in. It's crazy to think that something so life-changing can be based on something so arbitrary. Under the current administration, it's doubtful any real supportive legislation will come for reproductive health or for the support of poor families. But Dr. Green Foster still has recommendations based on her findings. So what one thing is that we should do a much better job of supporting poor women with children, and we need a much better safety net for children. But it's not the case that if there were really great supports for uh, women and children that abortion would go away because it's not just an economic, people aren't doing it for just economic reasons. <clears throat> we could we could make children's lives much better by being more generous to poorer families, but it wouldn't make abortion go away. Mm-hmm. We could also reduce a lot of barriers to contraceptive services to make it easier to prevent pregnancy. It should be covered in all insurance and all methods should be covered because it's really not fair that that some women have the tools to prevent pregnancy and other women don't. Thanks for tuning in to Dirty Money from WNYU 89.1 FM. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or tune in next week from 7.15 to 7.30 to hear Episode 8, Financial Domination. This episode was written, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Liam McBain. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kelly Drake, Anna Van Dyne, and Dr. Diana Green Foster. Thanks for listening.